The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I am your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week, I come to you, or my co-host when he's here comes to you, with the information in healthcare that doctors are talking about all across the country in doctors' lounges and amongst themselves. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the founder or or the sponsor, I'm sorry, of of the uh, Doctors' Lounge, and uh, the Doctors' Lounge. Uh, in the Doctors' Lounge, we talk about the issues in healthcare that are important to you and your family, so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family's healthcare needs. The Doctors' for Patient Care Foundation is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country, and we need your support. I ask for this each time I do the show, and I really want to thank those of you who do listen and who do support our show, and we need your support to continue to do this. We also need your support to do the important work that we do, including putting on our annual conference on uh, direct primary care, which uh, I'm happy to report is uh, in the planning stages. Um, we are going to uh, talk a little bit about it at the end of the show. I'll give you a little sneak peek um, and inside uh, uh, information about this uh, conference that is uh, uh, almost uh, for sure uh, going to happen. We have not signed contracts yet, but I'm, I'll share with you a little, a few secrets about what we have planned for this conference, um, which is almost uh, assuredly going to happen. Um, so stay with us till the end of the show, and I will uh, share that information with you. But the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is found at triple w d the number four pc foundation.org so please go to our website help us do the work that we do every day to fight for your health care needs so today i am going to attempt to talk about an issue that nobody wants to talk about in health care and that is race and this is the third rail it's almost like politics and religion. Um, the third rail is a third rail issue. You know where third rail comes from. Uh, for those of you who do not, who may live in rural communities, I believe that this came from the New York City subway system, although uh, I'm told that it is pretty much everywhere where there are, there are uh trains and electrified rails. The third rail is the rail that is the highly electrified rail that if you touch, you immediately get electrocuted and die. And uh, I'm hoping that that doesn't happen for, for me today after talking about what I plan to talk about, but I think it's something that most definitely needs to be discussed. And I... I'm talking about this today because this issue is 
starting to become mainstreamed, which is very, very concerning to me. And a dangerous narrative is emerging, and that is that there is underrepresentation of black physicians in the U.S. More importantly, it's this issue that is being blamed as the major factor in healthcare inequities in the black community. The, the, as the narrative goes, black patients are less healthy, and in many ways that may be true, but a big part of this is because there are not enough black doctors. There was an article that appeared in Tuesday's edition of the Atlanta Urinal and Constipation, the local rag newspaper that I get simply because I want to see what they're reporting. The article was entitled, quote, Patients Need Doctors Who Look Like Them, end quote. This, and remember, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is a propaganda rag for the left, and their staff writers are on board, they are all biased, and and they all drink the Kool-Aid along with their editorial board. If you'll recall, this is the same newspaper that slandered me and slandered Dr. Scott, my co-host, slandered this radio station during the COVID um, pandemic over things that we said, which turned out to be 100% true. No retraction from this leftist rag, of course, for the things that they said. But nonetheless, they have no problem just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. And this article really pissed me off. There's not a single thing that the left will not attempt to make about race. And they're making health care about race. Now, the author of this article attempted to tie the Supreme Court Decision striking down affirmative action in college admissions to concerns that the pathway into medicine may become much harder for students of color. So this rag, this fluff piece, this yellow journalism was was interesting to me in several ways, which I will try to unpack. First, the author featured or highlighted several doctors who relied on affirmative action as a vehicle to become doctors. Without this, she states, there would be fewer black doctors at a time when the medical field is reckoning with, quote, a long-standing health care inequity. 
And we'll get into this narrative in a few moments after I touch on the next thing. Now, the oddest thing about this article, the point that they were trying to make the case for, is that there are so few black dermatologists and that this disparity is negatively affecting black health because black dermatologists are more sensitive, more attuned to the dermatologic conditions that black people face. They also, she also went on to say that black men with melanomas have lower survival rates than white men. It's 52% for the black men versus 75% for white men. And the paucity of black dermatologists is part of the reason for this. There are so few black dermatologists, no numbers are given, but they, she writes that there are about 100 black dermatology residents currently in training. Now the denominator was not given in this article, so I did a little digging myself and found that there are approximately 530 residents who graduate each year from dermatology programs. And the number of black residents far exceeds the percentage of blacks in the population. And the aspirational goal, according to this author, is for there to be 250 black dermatologists by 2027 in training. That would mean that over 40% of the residents in training, they hope will be black dermatologists. I don't get it. I don't understand where this is going. I don't understand this logic. I don't understand any of this except to make a point that there's a racial problem here. And let's pick this particular issue and run with it. Again, this really pissed me off. We'll, we'll, we'll start with affirmative action. Admission to college, to medical school, or residency based on anything other than the ability of a person backfires in so many ways. When 80% of New York City high school graduates are deficient in basic reading, writing, and math skills, excuse me, and the vast majority do not have the basic skills you would expect someone that's half that age to have, the problem is in an educational system that is failing these individuals. It's not about race. It's not about racism. 
it's about poverty. It's about the socioeconomic condition that these individuals are subjected to. It's not a lack of opportunity to excel. It's a lack of opportunity to get a decent education. And this is consistent in every urban public school system across the country. The educational system is failing black students everywhere. Pushing them through and putting these poorly prepared individuals into medical schools sets them up for failure unless you further lower the standards, which they're doing. They're making the standards in schools lower and lower. You see this everywhere. You see that they are eliminating the advanced placement courses in high schools all across the country. Why? Because it hurts the feelings of the people who cannot get to that level. So instead of raising all boats, instead of raising everybody up, you lower the standards to the lowest common denominator, the Peter Principle, if you will. The individuals who become doctors who are being pushed through because they are in a specific ethnic group black, Hispanic, whatever and have not achieved that through a meritocracy but through their identity through the uh, their ethnic group, the color of their skin, whatever, they are so ill-prepared for the rigors of residency unless you lower those standards. And you want to know something? Those standards are also being lowered. There are less years of training. There is less accountability if you say something to one of these uh, individuals who are struggling or failing in their training programs, you're the one who gets in trouble. You're the one who gets reported, who is, you're, you're a racist or you're a sexist or you're, some, you're something if you call out somebody who is not performing up to standards and whatever ethnic group they belong to, you are anti that ethnic group or their gender group or whatever. So there is a major problem with lowering standards to accommodate individuals who can't cut the mustard. So these Individuals go into practice somewhere, and many of these individuals are substandard doctors. They are a threat to patients, regardless of whether they look like the patients or not. They're a threat. 
They're not good. So how does this help anyone? How does this improve the health care of any group when these doctors who are being pushed through are just not good doctors? What happens when a meritocracy is replaced by identity, politics, and policies. Ask yourself, if you want a doctor who looks like you, who got promoted all the way through their lives, through school, through they got pushed through high school, C student or a C minus student, who got into a prestigious university, who didn't really make the grade or was able to eke through on courses that were not rigorous. Women's studies, ethnic studies, urban studies, other fluff courses, who then got into a medical school, who then were able to get pushed through the medical school because if you fail somebody, you're at risk for getting sued or getting getting uh, sanctioned by the dean of the school or whatever. And then they apply for a residency and they get into the residency and they continue to make their way through the residency. And finally, they're out in practice, and they are mediocre at best. Is that what you want? You want that kind of doctor? Um, I don't. Would you prefer a doctor who is intellectually superior to 99% of the population, who knew their stuff and were the best that you can possibly go to who got to that point based on hard work sacrifice study of course you do of course you want that person or you don't want that person who got through who got pushed through taking care of your child God forbid you would have somebody like that take care of your child If you want more black doctors, invest in them. Invest in them as children. Give parents school choice. Allow black students who wish to be serious students the opportunity to thrive and not be held back in public schools that are failing them. This is unlikely to happen, though, as long as the left and as long as teachers' unions have their way. They prefer to push against meritocracy, and they are all in favor of race-based policies like affirmative action. The left is in favor of this for a number of reasons that I'll touch on in a bit, but 
in many ways, they, the people who are at the very top, don't want black families to succeed. They don't want to see black students thrive. If they did, they would support the schools in New York City and Washington, D.C. that have produced outstanding results, who have pro- produced and graduated black students who were on par with the very best white students. But that's not the case. They've defunded these programs because as long as they can keep the black students in a position of dependency on the government, on programs, they will stay in power. They will retain control over people. You should also invest in families. If you want to see black students succeed, invest in making sure that you are promoting families staying together instead of glorifying single-parent households. In 2022, 37% of black children lived in a home headed by their own two biological parents, 37%, as opposed to 60% of white families. Now, that's, that's a cultural phenomenon. It's, it's true, actually, that this number is improving. In, in the last couple of years, that number has come up. And, <clears throat> Again, I don't think that this is a race issue. It's a socioeconomic issue. It is a cultural issue. But these are the things that need to be promoted, not denigrated. And when you have intact families, when you give these families the choice of where their children are going to get educated, you'll get better students. You'll get students who will be able to be good doctors because they have had the educational background. They'll have the foundation to be able to succeed, to be able to thrive, to be able to do the work of physicians because it's not an easy job. So you've got to invest in these children early on. The next part of this article that needs to be unpacked is that healthcare inequities in, are, exist in the black community. There was a study, a single study, which has become the basis for the left-driven narrative. This study was actually not really a study. It was an Associated Press series, investigative reporting, not a true scientific study, that reported that black infant mortality was significantly greater when the obstetrician was white versus if they were black. And black maternal 
morbidity and mortality increased when the obstetrician was white versus if they were black. Now this investigative report, this information was very important for the left to drive a narrative that patients do better when their doctors look like them. And the contention is that white doctors do not take seriously the complaints and the concerns of black patients because they have unchecked biases and inherent racism. That inherent racism exists within the medical system whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Now, I'm sure that people are going to listen to what I'm saying today and they're going to call me a racist and have at it because I am not. You And people will say, well, you are, but you're denying it. And I'm, I'm not. I don't view color as a indicator of the quality or the char- or the the content of some somebody's character i view race neutrally and i have to say that i have arrived at that position living in atlanta georgia for the last 30 years and being um open-minded and it's 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 refreshing it's it's actually a very healthy approach that I wish that more people had the opportunity to participate in. In my medical practice, which has over 50 doctors, um, more than 14% of my partners are are black. Um, I take care of patients all throughout who come from all over the state of Georgia from rural counties to the inner cities to the most affluent parts of town. And I will tell you that the attitudes that I see in my patients who come from the inner city, black patients from the inner city, and the way that they treat me as a white doctor is far different than my black patients who are more affluent, who have more education, who come from intact families, when they come to my office, they have respect for being in a physician's office. They're attentive, they listen, they're engaged, but I will tell you that I have patients who come from the inner city, and trust me, we're the only pediatric urologists in in uh, the state, except for a smattering of a few others. So we see all the patients from every demographic and every socioeconomic corner of the state of Georgia. The patients that I see from the inner city, the black patients from the inner city, so many of them, and I know this is a generalization, but so many of them come in they're not 
attentive. They're on their cell phone. The minute that they come into my office, they are, um, they're, they have an attitude. They're, they're offended when I don't talk until they shut off their phone because I will not talk to them as long as they're on their cell phone, either texting or playing a game. And I'll get attitude about that, but I will not talk to them. I will not engage until they're engaged with me. That doesn't happen with the African-American patients that I see who are educated, who are more... Um, who, who come from different demographics. It's a socioeconomic issue. It is not a race issue. And I think that that's the important take-home message for all of this race-based um, narrative that the left wants to generalize, who, that they want to make cases out of. It has nothing to do with inherent bias. It has nothing to do with racism. It has everything to do with attitude. It has everything to do with with education. In the gunning affirmative action has dealt a serious blow to improving the problem. That's what the AMA is saying. That that the affirmative action um, was helping, and when you gut affirmative action, that this is dealing a serious blow to the problem of racial inequity. And the AMA is now a very leftist organization, um, and and just like most medical societies out there now, and they've weighed in and they've stated that the ruling gutting affirmative action will reverse the gains made in the battle against healthcare inequities. Again, it's not racial, it's socioeconomic, it's educational, it's not, it's not based on race. So let me ask you, so poor health in black patients is because of inherent racism and bias and not enough black doctors. So is this true? I think we're at a hard break right now. So let's take it and we'll, we'll cover that subject when we get back into this very charged issue in the next segment. Stay with me. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients 
dedicated to fighting for your healthcare freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the doctor's lounge, and I'm talking today a, about a very sensitive and charged issue, whether there's really racism in healthcare. Very, very dangerous narrative that is being um, put forth, mostly by the left. In fact, exclusively by the left. Now, I'll concede that black health care is poor in rural communities and in inner cities. And this is often the result of lack of access to care. But this is not inherent racism in medicine. In rural communities where many poor black individuals live in the South, these are poor communities without a doctor for hundreds of miles And in inner cities, black patients may lack the coverage that they need the health insurance, and they rely on emergency room care for their health care. This is not racism. This is socioeconomic. This is, this has to do with, with whether or not doctors who reside in these communities or who treat patients in these communities can get paid. If you can't get paid an adequate salary, you're not going to be in these rural communities. You're not going to take care of these individuals who are poor in socioeconomic blighted areas. Now, you might, this may make the case for nationalized health care, give everybody health care. Completely different argument, but it's, this is not about racism. This is about economics. Look at the bigger issues that affect black health. Poverty, not racism, that affects their health. Poor nutrition, poor living conditions, poor education, all more important factors. It all stems from education and intact families. And if you focus on those, both of those, then everything downstream improves. Black males are more likely to present with advanced stage prostate cancer than white males. Is that racist? Of course it's not. This is not systemic racism in medicine. It's because black males are less likely to come to the doctor than white males. But both are bad. Both, All men are bad and ignore symptoms that should bring them to a doctor. But in most families, who is the person that directs the health care decisions for the family? The wife. The mother. They're the ones who push the children or push the husband to the doctor. But so many black communities are not, the families are not intact, as I've mentioned. And so there is no wife to push a man to see the doctor. So that's 
more of a likely explanation for why more black males present to the urologists or their internists or whomever with advanced stage prostate cancer. Compliance with the treatment recommendations is worse in my families, worse in the black families that I treat in the inner city who are on Medicaid than in my black patients who have commercial insurance. This is not racism. This is education and socioeconomic factors. But it's this is true in the, the white patients that I take care of in rural, poor, white communities. The compliance of treatment recommendations on those, on those patients who are on Medicaid compared with my white patients who have commercial insurance is far worse. So again, this is not a racist issue. And, and I think that people need to be honest about this. And we did this analysis in our practice many years ago because we saw more problems with certain medical conditions in our Medicaid patients than in those who had commercial insurance, regardless of whether they were black or white. And there have been other series in pediatric urology literature that have corroborated this. Again, socioeconomic, not racial. Now, it was odd that the author of this article that I've referenced tried to make the case that losing affirmative action was going to have dire effects on black health, but chose to focus on dermatology? That There's such a disconnect there, because this specialty probably has the least impact on overall black health, when there are so many more pressing problems in the black community, such as hypertension and diabetes and cancers, breast, colorectal, prostate, just to name a few. So to focus on doctors who would have a greater, more far-reaching impact, like internists or family doctors, would have made more sense. And they picked dermatologists, who, by the way, are among the highest reimbursed doctors that we have out there right now. So there's such an incredible disconnect in this article. But it's these kinds of articles that are the kindling for the narrative about race and healthcare and inequities in black populations. There's another grave concern that emerges from the notion that black patients have better outcomes when their doctors are also black. The implied message is that these patients will not do as well with a white doctor or an Asian doctor or a Latino doctor. So this immediately creates a situation of distrust between patient and doctor. And if a patient does not do well or has a bad outcome, it must be because of the inherent racism that the white doctor harbors. Can't you see how insidious this is, how dangerous this is? A white doctor makes a recommendation, but a black patient does not follow them 
because they're suspicious. And then, of course, the consequences are a bad outcome, which then leads to it being the white doctor's fault. And this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I've shared with you attitude problems that I have seen among my patients who come from the inner city, the black patients who are coming to me who seem to have an attitude before they even have talked to me. So this entire narrative is dragging healthcare down a very dangerous path and putting the future of healthcare at risk for everyone. Not everything is about race. And certainly it's not about equal outcomes. Not equal outcomes. There's a famous epidemiologic study that looked at Japanese individuals and the incidence of stomach cancer. In Japan, the incidence of stomach cancer was considerably greater than in Japanese Americans, Japanese Americans who were living in Hawaii. And the reason for this turns out to be environmental, something about the diet in Japanese individuals living in Japan as compared to those in the U.S. Same people, different risk of cancer. The reason why people have poorer health care has less to do with inequities in health care or racism. It has more to do with patient behavior, with environmental factors. This truism kills the narrative of the left that race is the issue that accounts for the problems in our society. This way of thinking is a combination of destructive intentions and liberal guilt, both of which are at play in trying to drive this narrative. So what's the destructive ideology behind this that the left is perpetuating? The left despises America and all that it stands for. And they have one goal, one goal. It's to tear down America. They want to replace it with a society that allows the rich and the powerful to retain control. And they can accomplish this by fomenting discord and promoting hate. They do this by pushing identity politics and dividing people. That's the way to do it, by, by creating um, groups that are going to be at each other's throats. They tear down norms, the norms of society, that the fabric of our society, and promote ideas that further destabilize things. Transgender, lawlessness, eliminating parental rights, open borders, the list goes on and on and on. And pushing these ideas undermines the very essence of what America is. And when things are so broken then there's only one solution, and that's for the government to step in. And the leftists are very clever. They're Marxists. They are gradually manipulating things to ensure that they retain power. They keep control indefinitely. So this race-based narrative is part of the plan. It's a vehicle for them to get to where they want to be. Things had been getting better. 
until we had a a a flagrant Marxist in the White House ten year twelve years ago, fourteen years ago, in Barack Obama, who started to actually change the imp- things that were improving and turn them upside down on their on their head. And now we are we've taken steps backward where people are at each other's throats. And the left is manipulating things by executive orders from the White House. They're talking about uh, well, they're they're putting judges into courts that are upholding illegal um, actions by by leftists, meaning Democrats. Um, they're trying to turn red states blue by opening the border and shipping the illegal aliens to government housing in red suburbs, in, in, in suburbs in red districts and in rural communities. And then there's liberal guilt. There are the minions who are the foot soldiers who carry out these policies that have been created by the Marxists. These people have been indoctrinated and brainwashed through no fault of their own, but nonetheless, they have been, and at the earliest age possible. And they grow up with these beliefs drilled into them so that eventually they embrace them and they believe that this is so. And they go around screaming these leftist ideas. And you've seen this. You've seen elementary school kids who are protesting climate change, who can't sleep at night because they are having nightmares about the climate. You see white kids who are who have bought into Black Lives Matter, a leftist organization, but who are on board with them. And then you have medical organizations. They have jumped onto this racial inequity in healthcare bandwagon. Most organizations are now run by individuals who have been brought up in this leftist educational system and have been digesting this throughout their lives, including medical school. And the medical schools have built into their curriculum um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they have officers to to promote this. And they've taken away critical courses in the medical school curriculum and replace them with DEI um, types of, of education because they believe that this is more important than giving a good medical education. And these people get trained in residency programs that push this agenda, go to work for hospitals and academic institutions that have bought into this because, again, the people at the top have are, are in charge having been brought up in this environment. And these individuals get a heavy dose of racial inequity propaganda and get into positions to do what they can to change things. And it's a combination of this liberal guilt and the false claims that have been pushed by the left that so many white doctors are in positions that they're in because of white privilege. And we have to even the score. So how does one make themselves feel better? Well, evening the score, reparations. In healthcare, what does that look like? 
Well, it's giving selective care to black patients, preferentially over white patients. And that's been proposed. That's being done in Boston at the Brigham and William at Women's Hospital. That's one way to even the score. Giving preferential care to black patients who have suffered the disparities in health care. And this is a type of reparation. You hear about reparations in California. This is the narrative that's being, that's being now, um, perpetuated to, which is totally, you know, false. But instead of bringing up the level of health care to the same level and giving everyone equal care, there has been a reckoning and they have to take away from one group to give to another group of patients. And they treat this like a zero-sum game instead of raising everyone up and resetting things. These brainwashed left minions now run these organizations that have the ability to set policies and who can push the the policies that are so harmful and so detrimental to our healthcare system. They'll push having more black doctors who are poorly trained, regardless of ability, and and uh, and and based on on um, their identity, you know, the, their identities. Um. This is part of watering down health care. And when you water down health care, you have a system where the care is not so good anymore, and it gives the government the ability to step in and take over. And that's another vehicle, another way that the left will get to where they want to, which is the control of health care over this country, over all patients. Now, I don't know where this is going, and but I don't know how to stop this runaway train. And it's similar to trying to stop the climate change train, which is a gigantic canard. We, we do believe that the climate's changing, but is it man-made? What accounted for the Ice Age? Was it the cavemen and their diesel vehicles? You know... This is just ridiculous, but people have bought into it. And the same is happening with racial issues like this in healthcare. And if anyone tries to say what I've just gone through, they are a racist, just like I'm going to be labeled a racist for having the nerve to say any of this. But racist, racism has lost its meaning. It is so absurd because it is now being applied to everything. And unfortunately, when you apply something, a word to everything, then it is meaningless. What I've told you is the absolute truth. So this issue should concern everyone because it's destabilizing healthcare. And you really need to understand that this is the direction things are going in. And you have to ask yourself, is this what you want? Does anyone really want their health care to go away? 
to be watered down, to be in danger of having less qualified doctors, in danger of the government stepping in to enact the policies that will further drag our healthcare system down. I do know that four more years of leftist, aka Democrat policies, will move us closer to this reality. And decisions at the ballot box need to be made not on the basis of anti-Trump or anti-Republican. We are very close to a point of no return. And there will never be any leadership other than having Marxists as the people who run our system. If they have any more time to rig the system to keep their opponents from ever winning elections again. And healthcare is a very important part of this, but there are so many other issues that will affect you in ways that you have not even considered that go beyond the scope of what this radio show is all about. But they are very insidious and will change the our way of life forever. Digital currency is one of them where the government, the Democrats are talking about having a a uh, control over the banking system so that they could see all transactions. And when they do that, they can uh, determine how you spend your money. They want to pack the courts so that they will have more uh, leftists um, who will uh, uphold the um, the very dangerous policies that the leftists um, enact as laws or as as executive orders? Um, they want to water down our government and give uh, get more leftists in in Congress by giving statehood to Puerto Rico or to Washington D.C. These are things that are flying under the radar that are happening right under your nose that nobody's paying attention to. Healthcare is a big part of this. The left is so diabolical, so Machiavellian, that if you allow them any more time to be in charge, that you will not recognize this country after another four years. So be smart. You know, you wonder... Well, what can I do? Because I talk about these things, and then I don't give anybody any marching orders, any kind of to-do list. Well, I'm not going to give anybody a to-do list for what I've just gone through, but I will tell you that this is happening, and that the um, the leftists are dividing us, and they're interjecting race and now trying to make it more mainstream by reporting it in newspapers that you are reading across the country and trying to convince you that this is a giant problem. They're trying to essentially say, you're a racist and you don't know it. And that is just not the case. So be smart. Be informed and understand where this is going and you have a choice you have the ability to um to stop this if you choose and you should not um you absolutely should not 
let whoever is the Republican choice for president influence your vote because the choice is binary. It's either Marxism or a Republican. And Marxism is going to destroy our country. It's on that path, and we are very close to there. So be smart. So I told you that I was going to tease our um, Docs for Patient Care sponsored um, direct primary care conference. And um, through no fault of our own, we could not put one on in 2023. Um, we tried and um, it was just not possible. And this will be, um, except for COVID, where we could not put on this conference, it will be the first time that we have missed a year of putting on this annual conference, which is a superb conference. But here's some inside baseball, and here's a secret that I'm sharing with you, our listening audience. We've got a date that is not quite set in stone, but pretty close to it. So I want you to mark your calendars if you are direct primary care doctors or you are a doctor who is thinking about going into direct primary care, whether you are a family doctor, an internist, a pediatrician, an obstetrician, or even a specialist who wants to go into a cash-based practice and leave behind insurance. This conference is for you. It has been a home run, a Grand Slam home run, every single year that we've held this conference. And the next conference is going to be in March of 2024, March 14th to the 16th, in Florida, in Orlando. And this year, or this coming conference, will have a couple of new twists to it. In the past, our conference has just focused on giving information from the people who are putting the conference on to the people who were attending. This time, the conference will be more interactive, and we are going to be soliciting um, reports on uh, your own practices in direct primary care with our um, with our uh, conference, just like uh, any other medical conference out there. So you'll want to uh, look at your data, come up with a series, and uh, and submit it uh, an abstract for presentation. And we are going to have a fantastic keynote speaker that I'm not prepared to talk about right now, but I promise you, it is going to he's going to be outstanding. So thank you for being with us today in the Doctor's Lounge and come back with us next week for the next episode of the Doctor's Lounge. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.